This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,556, recorded July 26th, 2000. I assume you people will get it, if I tell you this. I enjoyed it, and I thought, if so many of you nowadays say you help people, that I would share it. I was checking on our webpage that Calvin and all of you do, and I was looking down at the transcripts, and I just decided to flip one on. It was... Whatever title they'd given it. Energy, power, and the ultimate Roseland. And I started looking at it. 19, I think it was 89. Before I knew it, I read the whole thing. I'd never done it before. And I got to the end of it, the final line, and I was kind of astounded by it. And I stopped for just a second. And then I was doubly astounded because here's what hit me. I thought, wait a minute. I know the author personally. <laughs> and I almost got up, I was going to go look in the mirror and think, not only is it astounding, it's astounding that I know who did it. <laughs> and of course, it was me. I keep pointing out, or I sometimes point out that I don't suffer from feelings of self-importance, but I guess it's a good thing I don't go back and read my stuff. <laughs> that could change. All right, here's what I read. What I had been wanting to lead up to. First, I wrote a couple of pages instead of just a little items, sort of explaining the premise, as it were. Whatever that means. Man's consciousness is not in a state of sleep, as mystics call it, because he is stupid or cursed, but because his conscious mind is not constructed nor organized to think about things simply as they are, but rather as they could be as they might be. This natural disinclination to think about life as it is solely accounts for man's technological and cultural achievements. But this dreaming also has the side effect of making the way he thinks about thinking unreal and unreliable. Do you see it? Since his mind constantly thinks about things and life in ways other than they are, his thinking about his own thinking is not based on reality, but rather it thinks of itself in ways that do not fit the facts, that do not match the reality of what is going on. A man thinks of himself not as he is, but for better or worse, as he could be, as he might be. Even closer scrutiny of this suggests it's not so much that the mind cannot see and tell the truth about things as it is a matter that it can't stick to the truth. Once something has attracted the mind's attention sufficiently for it to think about and comment on it, it is then unable to confine itself to just telling the truth and describing the thing as it actually is. It is the mind operating in this normal and predictable manner that the mystics refer to as the conscious mind being asleep and being deluded. From the view of the few, this judgment is understandable, but with most, it is arrived at based on a faulty interpretation of the evidence. For example, someone may observe a relationship between men's body type and their temperament, but their mind will not let it stop there. It will lead them to abandon the simple truth of what they saw and cause them almost immediately to begin concocting an imaginary and unnecessary elaboration of what they discovered as they then attempt to explain the relationship based on a man's childhood, the position of the planets, and so on. Man's instinctive mind deals with life on a straightforward, literal, and no-nonsense basis while his conscious mind not only creates a cultural world of metaphorical life, it also lives therein, forgetting where it came from. In a place where the thoughts about, thing, where the thoughts about things non-physical never perfectly match the things they purport to represent, such as the land, the cultural land of metaphor. When the basic survival needs are met, the instinctive mind is quieted. But the conscious mind is never so stilled, for its hunger can never be satisfied as can the stomachs be by physical food, for the mind feeds on metaphor and allegory, 
on words and explanations of things, not on actual substantial things. Ergo, the constant state of change common to the unique cultural world of man's conscious mind, a phenomenon totally unfamiliar to his instinctive mind. So it could be said thus, to be asleep is not a matter of not knowing what's actually going on in life, but rather of not realizing what's going on in your thinking about what's going on in life. A man's unfamiliarity with himself, hence a man's unfamiliarity with himself, and thus what he normally takes to be himself might be best described as, quote, his habitual failure to face the truth of what he obviously is. Consider this affair to its very basis. The conscious mind does not naturally see life nor ourselves as we literally are. But perhaps it is not possible to even change this. But what is possible is to realize the situation, which is, in fact, all that is ever possible and all that is needed to awaken. If a man's conscious mind occupied itself mostly with instinctive matters, he would think of little more than about sex, food, physical comfort, and their peripheries. And if a man's conscious mind occupied itself primarily with consciousness, he would think mostly about the mind. So, in one instance, a man's mind is occupied principally with his crotch, his stomach, and overall physical pleasure, while in the other, his mind's time is taken up in large part with its thinking about itself. Now some questions. Which of the two sounds the more benefiting of a man? Which of the two would seem to hold a greater possible result? And which of the two seems to you to have more of a real-life basis? For advanced students, the test comes down to but a single question. Do you recognize what is wrong with questions whose correct answer is proposed and presumed to be one of two possible choices. <laughs> a father told his son, it is the clinging to useless things that makes us prisoners. And the lad replied, and I suspect that you're not referring to things physical. Indeed not, said the old man. Specifically, I mean, to cling to false notions about ourselves, which we know are false. And yet, which the mind has no mind to let go of. Then the boy asks, So what are we to do, Papa? Well, wake up, me laddie. Wake up and tell yourself the truth for a change. There is an important historical footnote to this scene, which is as follows. Analyzation is not the same as telling the truth. Every Tom, Dick, and Caroline analyze themselves, but not a dick among them ever face the truth about themselves. And another less significant addendum to this sorry fact. The mind believes that it tries to tell the truth. It indeed insists that its highest calling is in the pursuit of the truth. Bless its little heart. And a man captivated by his mind will never see through this fascinating and quite believable mirage which the mind has concocted for itself. If the mind says that it's saying the truth, who or what is there to say otherwise? If, if otherwise it be. That's right, you. The problem, based on my present model, is this. If the mind is a yard and thoughts an unruly dog, what it accomplishes by continually running away from home is to save it from having to face the truth about the yard. Being asleep, as the mystics call it, is more than simply a bad habit. Being asleep is the failure to realize the reality of what you are. Headline the two minds and the telling of the truth. The instinctive mind can't, can't talk, so it can't tell the truth. It acts it out. The conscious mind can speak and could tell the truth about things, but if it did so, it would destroy the cultural world. So, there you are. The truth is what it is. What the conscious mind says is the truth isn't. So, there you are. Those seeking so-called enlightenment could be described as people whose mind look for more out of life than, there, than is there. Not the same as with those whose ordinary mind, not the same as those with ordinary minds, which naturally look at life as being potentially other than it is. Do you get the difference? 
that those seeking to awaken have minds that look for more out of life than is there, whereas ordinary minds look at life as being potentially other than it is. The mind of the mystic does not look for the circumstances of life to be arranged differently, but rather looks for something amidst the circumstances that no one else even thinks about. Next time your mind scoffs at television, for instance, ask if it understands that television, books, plays, radio, lectures, computer games, conversations, and normal daydreaming are all the same thing to a man trying to think clearly. If your mind doesn't immediately realize this to be true, well, <clears throat> I'd try to get away from it if I were you. <laughs> a speaker declared, everyone either wants to be famous or else they want to go unnoticed. And from the crowd, a voice responded, but you just touched on the two extremes. What about those in the middle? And the speaker waved his hand dismissively and scoffed, ah, ah, those other six billion? <laughs> and ask your mind if it understands this one also. And if not, <clears throat> my previous advice still, advice still goes. As they stood amidst the books in their massive metaphysical library, the father said to the son, Do you now understand that nothing, do you now understand that notwithstanding all of the many and varied descriptions given throughout the ages to that certain specialized hunger to awaken, that what it is, that what it simply and truly is, is the mind's desire to understand thinking? This is all that any of it is, and anyone who says otherwise hasn't got a clue. This was not the first time the old man had said something similar, and it never failed to give the lad an instant thrilling chill. That seemed to have gotten all cluttered up. They stood there amidst a massive a library of metaphysical writings that they had, at least the old man had, collected throughout a lifetime, and he said to his son, who obviously, according to the story, had a similar interest, he says, when you look upon all this, and you consider that they are all filled with various descriptions of some attempt, some desire that men have had to awaken, to achieve enlightenment, to affect the great liberation, and so on. Do you understand that out of all of these, all of that comes down to one thing. And a few people, it's their mind wanting to understand the nature of thought. And anyone who believes it's anything other than that, more than that, is not even in suspecting distance. And now another addition to our file known as all that a real mystic ever needs to know about mysticism. <laughs> if it's not as plain as dirt and as curt as a stick in the eye, it's not mysticism. <laughs> oh, Papa, cried the child. My eye is bleeding. Good, he replied. Now you're dealing with the real thing. <laughs> and oh, yeah, keep remembering that there is no such thing as awakened thought that is critical thought. And some poor soul immediately complains. But if I can't find fault, what can I find? With that approach, sir... Certainly not the truth. Ouch! <laughs> instinctively, children will freely, instinctively, children too freely will express their instinctive desires. But as he matures and begins to live increasingly in a world dominated by his conscious mind, he increasingly is disinclined to directly express his instinctive desires. In fact, once fully grown and civilized, his instinctive voices are seldom heard, save through the filtering mask of his cortical consciousness. All in all, from one view, to be civilized is to lie to yourself about yourself. When everyone fails to tell the truth about themselves, then what is the truth about everyone? And what does that make people who want to wake up? If our instinctive mind could become conscious of the world that our conscious mind has constructed and which is its primary place of residence, our instinctive mind would conclude that our conscious mind is insane. Does anyone now have a clearer comprehension of a recent statement I made, quote, 
If, as is commonly believed, talk can cure man's mental problems, then talk is the cause of man's mental problems. I may never get back to this one, so I'm just going to point out. Out in the ordinary world, this would not go. But I am telling you, there is a view and an understanding I've had for many, many years that sometimes just verbally hits me, and it's, in some ways, I don't even have to explain it to myself or to ask, does it make any sense? I just know it's true. And that is, if one thing in the non-physical world, in the world of man's consciousness, in the cultural world, in my secondary realm, if apparently something, if men decide, not you, but if it's become accepted common wisdom, such as in our day and time, well, it's always been true. I can't just blame it on Western psychology and psychiatry but it's always been believed that talk in some way can cure in many cases i just made a blanket statement that talk is a cure for so-called mental problems for men's mental problems <laughs> but if talk and this is just one example i'm pointing out if talk is the cause of man's mental problems then it's also i mean if the cure for man's mental problems it's also the cause because in the concocted world, nothing can be a cure for something unless it's the cause of it. None of the six billion ordinary, sane, educated, rational people can fathom that, and I'm not sure whether you do. But does anybody, if you'll think about it, I'm sure it'll hit some of you. There's no way to describe it and certainly no way to prove it. But in the world unique to man, if X causes Y, I mean, if X cures Y, then X is the cause of Y. That's the only way it works. You'd be surprised the unexpected areas if you begin to try and use that as sort of like a template. And anytime you're listening to people, ordinary humans saying, well, what we need to do to solve this problem is to do such and such. And maybe your mind is of the sort that's going, good grief, you people are idiots, or you know, that won't work. Or even you could say, why didn't you think of it before? Whatever it is, if you have your mind has some comment when other ordinary humans are saying, if we're going to solve such and such problem, it should be done with such and such tools. Then I assure you, just go ahead and say it to yourself. Even if it doesn't make any sense, I mean, just say it to yourself, the sentence. And whatever the tool was they described, if they're saying that X will cure Y, then just say to yourself, well, hey, if X will cure Y, then X is the cause of Y. And see what happens. As always, just in the privacy of your own skull. Here's how it goes with our species. To be alive is to be human. To be human is to think. To think is to think that there is more to being a human than there actually is. And to think that there is more to being a human than there actually is, is to be asleep and thoroughly confused in your mind as to what it is exactly to be alive. Being asleep, as the mystics call it, is being in denial of your humanity. What seems almost beyond the ability of a man's conscious mind to comprehend is that whatever appears in it is as natural to the man as are the gastric juices in his stomach when he's hungry or the sugar in his blood when he's frightened. The mind is man's only organ which, under perfectly normal conditions, believes it's being subjected to toxic influences. <laughs> Remember, only your mind is asleep and confused because only your mind believes that it is. <laughs> to awaken from the slumber state, don't waste your time chasing happiness, pursuing knowledge, or seeking the mystical, but rather... Develop the ability to speak the truth about yourself. While you are not conscious of your instinctive mind as such, you are conscious of its effects. Conscious of being hungry, horny, cold, or sleepy. Whereas you are conscious of your conscious mind. Don't you realize it by now? Quoting myself, whereas you are conscious of your conscious mind. What an unbelievable statement. What is there to equal such an obviously un un unfounded assertion which so-called rational men take to be true?
quote, whereas you are conscious of your conscious mind. What you? What you can you locate that is anything other than your conscious mind? As vitally important as is our instinctive mind, I say again, it's a good thing it doesn't understand what's going on in our conscious one. A man asleep is like a man who tells his mind, think about anything except the way things are. One man says, after years of trying to achieve full and permanent awakening, I remain discouraged by the results and have come to the conclusion that all I really need do is to understand my mind. Or as I would now put it, all I need is for my mind to understand itself. And what really gets me is the fact that it, and he held up his thumb and forefinger almost touching, gets constantly this close to succeeding. It never makes that final step. But it constantly gets this close. End quote. Crude men are controlled by their fascination with their sex organs and their stomachs. Mystical men are controlled by their fascination with their mind. Mystical men could do better than this. Crude men can't. One man decided to get a facelift. <clears throat> then thought, nah, I'll do a mind lift first, then see how I feel. <laughs> After considering one of my recent models and comments, one man muses. All right, if my instinctive mind is not the problem, and my conscious mind is not the problem, then what is the damn problem? <laughs> I'm assuming that he presented this as a question rhetorical. Okay, P.S. The self-directed question, just exactly what is the problem, is one that few who seek our goal ever seriously ask themselves. But I tell you that, only those who do ever see this business all the way through. Consider if a man diagnoses himself as ill, yet never fully understands what his own diagnosis means, how can he apply truly suitable treatment? Go ahead, ask yourself. It won't do you any harm at all. Ask yourself. Ask yourself exactly what is the problem here. The hidden economics regarding needless efforts. While nothing is required of an awakened mind, the work of a distracted one is never done. In the realm of consciousness, that most labor-intensive is never the way most efficient. Let the conscious mind, the art of relaxation, learn from the instinctive one. Resisting thought denies reality and puts you on an endless, meaningless merry-go-round. Refusal to acknowledge the reality of your own nature fuels this mad carousel. Solution? Simple. Don't resist the reality of how things are. Let everything you do be genuine to you. Insist that every little thing you do be a valid reflection of you and desires natural to you. Don't do even the smallest of acts if it is fraudulent to your nature. Knowing the need to do this and then not doing it is to live your life in a deceptive dream. Even some ordinary men will profess their desire to know themselves, but then will endlessly expound on the seeming improbability of ever doing so, and that men naturally lie to themselves about what they are. And thus is the truth kept from them. But consider, how can a man actually be fooled by the lies he may tell himself about himself when he has to know the truth about himself to lie about himself in the first place? <laughs> the lies the mind tells about ourselves and life are not only lies, they are just lies. The real problem is in accepting the lie that says we don't actually know the truth. A man with an awakened mind may not be anything special, but a man with an awakened mind is genuine. 
What more can a man ask? And finally, a boy asked his father, Should my motto be, you can change your behavior, even change your mind, but you can never change what you are. And their elder replied, either that or eat more possum. First, I will point out that which is a topic of conversation has been throughout the ages with ordinary men. And that is the matter slice, the question of men lying to themselves. You do not have to be suffering from a neuroses, you don't have to be under professional care to believe under certain conditions and certain situations when the subject is brought up that men can and in many instances seem inclined to lie to themselves, to deceive themselves, to fool themselves. It is so common that uh, I am fain to spend much time going into it. I can surely make up examples and make you giggle or chuckle with recognition. But it is just simply, and always has been, accepted as part of the human condition. You can find it three and four thousand years ago, written about in China. It's as old as any recorded history. When you have men beginning to wax philosophical, they begin to notice that their fellow man very often lives by delusions of themselves. That weak men believe they're strong and will attempt to do battle with another and are struck down on the spot. That men who are ignorant will attempt to do mental battle with others and be sliced to pieces at their expense. That men with no talent for business will enter the marketplace of commerce and come out stripped. And that men who, that ugly men, that ugly women, and will throw in plenty of perfume and a wig in the latest fashion and prance around as though they believe they're beautiful or handsome while everyone around them is laughing at them. So it is old sport and sometimes taken to be more than sport, taken to be a serious philosophical matter to ponder how others, how man will deceive himself. A few philosophers here and there and plenty of mystics, so-called self-appointed mystics, then we'll get into the fact that the speaker, the philosopher, the observer himself will even include himself as he begins to analyze, attempt to analyze himself and to know himself and through the various methods, attempting to use contemplation, meditation, observing oneself, trying to look at oneself objectively, that one is struck immediately, so they say, by the fact that we continually, that we ourselves lie to ourselves. It is not just an affliction of ordinary people. It is not just other people who lie to themselves that we all do. And they go on and on and on. I assume that you have a your own personal perception of this because as I said it's part of the perception common to all people that when a subject is brought up and especially if you'll point away from the person you're talking to and just talk about men in general or men are inclined to you know what I mean the people are inclined to deceive themselves when it's to their advantage just when they're when they're so lacking in talent and they're so lacking in certain characteristics that men have the ability to absolutely just fool themselves, just to tell outright lies about themselves with a straight face and apparently believe it, whereas no one around them believes it. You must have your own understanding that that is simply a non-debatable fact. When it struck me in a certain way that I'm trying to convey to you, I don't know whether I can spend any more time than tonight on it. I may blow it all tonight because it just hit me. And I put off a long time trying to describe it. That is true. I would not use the terms amongst us that we lie to ourselves. I know I've said it somewhere in passing. I've more often said deceive ourselves. 
for tonight and for what I'm pointing to, I do not even like either of those terms. I'd prefer to dwell for a second on what I pointed out in the opening pages. That if you, by now you must have enough observations and knowledge. But if you will take note in a certain way, the mind of man does not think about things as they are. And as I pointed out, a mystics too often, without exception, jump on the fact that this is something untoward, that this is because of man's stupidity, this is because of some curse, or it's for some reason we don't really know. But that there is definitely something wrong in the fact that the mind continually thinks about things in a way that does not match the reality of them. That men think about other people in ways that an outside observer would listen to a man's description of a third party and a disinterested listener that happens to know the third party to himself can say, how in the world can you describe him like that? That is nothing like the man you're talking about. Or a disinterested party could have observed a situation that occurred and later hear it described by someone involved therein. And he hears the description and he says, well, that's an absolute lie. And then he may be faced with the fact that the man giving the faulty description, if he's called on it, may insist that that's a valid description. And after some discussion, the disinterested party may conclude, well, this man has deceived himself. He actually believes that that's the way it occurred, and he was there as well as I was, and he knows damn well that's not the way it happened. But now, after arguing, after I threatened him, after I conjoled him, and after I see a certain glint in his eye, a certain passion, a faux passion, if you can see it, in his voice, I can only conclude that he has now fooled himself. That he now believes this lie that he has concocted. I say if you look, or you already should have enough ammo, our mind, rather than to say that the mind is incapable of seeing things as they are, I find it, mo I find it most beneficial to realize that the mind can see things as they are. It sees people, your mind sees you, and it sees things that happen. It can see them as they happen, but here's the problem. It won't stick to that. And I say the problem. I also say, if you want, rather than it being an identifiable problem, or a problem because I say it is, it's just the way things are. Contrary, I can see it as being a necessary organization and operation of man's mind. Because here we are again, from my view, the easiest way, the most efficient way to describe what I see is the fact that we would not have technological progress. We would not have the cultural world we have if our minds did not naturally look upon things and even though it can see them as they are, it immediately sees them other than they are. There would be no inventions otherwise. There would be no technology. There would be no culture. There would be no civilization. Now, of course, without the mind, you cannot conceive of things being other, other than they are. If we were back at the level that it was all instinctive, if we were limited to our brainstem, the old reptilian mind, wherein I point out, they have no choice. There's not even the appearance of choice. If you're operating strictly by instinct, it is strictly by, from any observable view, it is by strictly hardwired, inborn programming. But once you can think, then you apparently can decide how to react within certain boundaries. But you are constantly faced with the apparent possibility of making decisions. And along with that, I'm saying the mind naturally looks upon anything that interests it in life. If it's interested your mind, anyone's mind enough, that the mind begins to comment to itself, begins to address this thing it's observed, just notice whether it be a physical object, 
an actual physical occurrence or whether it be you thinking about another person. It doesn't matter. Even if you look at it and the mind can first off see the person, the occurrence, the thing as it is, what does it do? Does it leave it there? If it leaves it at that, then if you also notice it, the proof being, or if it leaves it there, it has no interest. Because the proof being, if it, may, it just makes no comment. It just sees what it is. It may say to itself, oh, that's so-and-so. And it's, it goes somewhere else. But if the mind stays there on it, it will not stick to a perception of what it is, of what the thing, what the person is. It will begin to think about it as it could be, as it might be. Uh, this right here, uh, some of you may miss it. I'll try to describe it as much as I can when I say how things could be or might be. Uh, most of you seem to grab something when I was talking about we'd have no technology without the mind seeing things as being other than they are. That is to be able to look upon water flowing, let's say. Water flowing in a stream downhill, and a guy's got a garden he's planted, and it's up above the fall of the water. And he keeps looking at the water. The water keeps moving. But he has faced, him and everyone else, that to get the water from here up the hill, he has to move it. That he moves, but then he keeps looking, but this water moves, and I don't have to move the water. And then finally it comes upon him how to make a pump. How to make water running in one direction furnish the fuel to run it in another direction. That he sat there and he looked at it. And in his mind, whoever invented the first pump, the first water wheel that would drive its own pumping mechanism, he looked at it and he didn't see the stream as it is. He saw it as it could be. He saw in his mind, he began to see, well, if I built a even if you didn't have words for a wheel, if I built this round thing and it had stuff to catch the water and make it turn, and it would turn a on an axle, and this axle would turn, then I could make it. He saw it all, and he saw the stream right there. What he was looking at, he saw it as it could be. All right, that's not all of it. That's why I said things as they could be or might be. Now let's go away from the physical world. And all such as that is always, from my model, we always discount because it has to do with direct survival needs. It has to do with the physical world. And that's one thing. But what we're talking about that interests us, that interests all men mentally, and what interests specifically those who believe they're trying to awaken or achieve a different state of consciousness, is things non-physical, absolutely non-physical. And that's why I say that the mind sees things not as they are, but as they could be or might be. Now here's where we go into the cultural world, the world of the conscious mind. It sees people and it sees itself. That is, your mind sees you as you might be, except it doesn't make that distinction. It sees people as they might be. It sees this other guy. One man's mind is describing a third party that you know, and he's describing, well, hey, if you ever do business with him, he'll cheat you, he'll do this and that, and he's untrustworthy. You know, you can't turn your back on him. And so you might be listening to it, and you know the man, and you think, well, that's not true. You're lying. If you believe it, you're lying to yourself because you've, you've done business with him. But the man's mind is seeing this other party as he might be because he certainly might be that way. He certainly may have been that way in instances that you don't know about. But... It is simply this. The man might be that way. Because any way that one man might be, then anybody else might be that way. There is a difference. I wanted to point that out whether you get it or not. And it, I find it very worthwhile. That the mind, that's why I said that were it not for the mind seeing things other than they are, we would not have our technological and cultural worlds. And then I said, because they could be or might be. And the mind sees the physical world, not as it is, but as it could be. And from that arises technological progress. That man changes the environment, he manipulates, moves things around, and makes them other than they were to his advantage. 
But then, when you get away from the physical world, and you look into the cultural world, the secondary world, the world strictly of man and his inventions, his ideas, then the mind sees things, not to change them, but it sees things as they might be. Not for the purpose of changing them, maybe for the purpose of criticizing and arguing, but it doesn't really try to change people. People's minds can say, I would love to change your mind. Someone can say to you when you have a disagreement over some theory or some idea, a man's mind may say, well, I wish, since you're an intelligent person, I wish I could change your mind on this matter. No, he doesn't. Well, think back when you've fallen into a debate with somebody and you're arguing, you might try and assume that kind of intellectual posture and say, well, I see our debate is getting, we're getting at loggerheads. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to convince you of the propriety of my view, but I wish I could. No, you don't. All you want to do is criticize it. If you don't know that, you don't know anything. Your mind doesn't want to change other people's minds. Your mind doesn't want to change itself. Anyway, now I'm going to take you where I found the real interest, the whole point of all this. Ordinary people with ordinary minds. I say it is natural. You should know it by now. It's just everywhere. It's undeniable. You either just look and you see it or, I don't know, you're just blind. You're not trying. That the mind of man, yours included, under ordinary conditions, does not look upon things. It can see things and it thinks about things if, it, if it's interested enough in whatever the thing is to look at it and to comment. That means that sufficiently, the thing sufficiently has drawn your mind's attention. That internally it makes some comment on the matter. Critical or otherwise, it comments. As soon as it comments on the matter, it is no longer seeing the thing or the matter as it is. And I'm not saying that the mind's incapable initially of seeing it as it is. And I find that to be important after years of thinking otherwise. But at any rate, it looks at it, and as soon as if it's interested enough in the matter, that it to itself begins to comment, begins to analyze, explain it, but comment on it. That's all you have to say. When it starts that, it instantly is no longer seeing the thing, thinking about the thing as it is, as it knows it is. I say it begins to see it otherwise. It doesn't matter, pro or con, good or bad, it's simply, and it's just obvious as hell. You've got all the information, you've got all the activity in your head to see it. But it looks upon whatever it is, and if it's interested enough to comment, it immediately begins to comment. If we were talking about ordinary people, I'd say it immediately begins to deceive itself, to lie about it. But it doesn't, because it knows the truth. So how can you say it's lying? But it begins to see it, that is to think about it, in ways other than it knows it to be. Or in ways other than the thing or the activity is. Here's the part. That no one ever turns on themselves. I believe I could get most mystics, if they'd sit still for a little while, to follow me up to here. Rather, mill would be waker-uppers. But here's where it's good. Here is the payoff. No one realizes those trying to awaken, trying to observe themselves, to remember themselves, to reflect on themselves, to study themselves. And if they have any sense, if they're past the kindergarten stage, to think about studying yourself, observing yourself, you mean your mind. You don't mean anything else. You mean your mind. What no one considers, even... As I said, I believe I could get a lot of, even would be, that would be enlightened to follow me up to here. But then, what they, no one ever turns it this way, that the mind, people just do not consider the fact that there is the reason that I had this one guy tonight. He said that he had decided all this stuff about awakening and all, he couldn't seem to really pull it off. And he just come to the conclusion that all he really wanted, all, all, it, all of the thing about enlightenment, all it mattered to, is the mind wanting to understand itself. And he said that he's finally come to that conclusion, but now what really you know rubs his ass the wrong way, what really gets him, is that he constantly is that close to doing it. He's just right there, and it's gone. The mind 
perforce of what I've described, perforce of the very activity that is open to anybody is easy observation. The mind is incapable of seeing itself as it is. I say, speaking allegorically, figuratively now, that the shame of a man surely I'm going ahead and speak for you and assume that you've got to be up to this point of still sticking here with me. That the shame, the outrage, not shame, I like that. The shame (laughs) that you should feel now is not over deluding yourself, which I would assume that most of you are over most of your great pretensions. Outward pretensions. If for no other reason, you're getting a bit longer in the tooth. And as your sexual hormones begin to, I don't know, they sort of get watered down in your blood the older you get. You find yourself being less vain. You find yourself being less concerned about the clothes you're wearing or how often you shower and that stuff. So, at any rate, but... But be that as it may, I'll still, I know you don't like to give yourself credit. Well, that's not all of it. A lot of it's come to my increased waking up. Okay. I hear we're talking about lying. Why not go ahead? But at any rate, if you look around, if you look at yourself, even if you hadn't thought about it, don't try and pat yourself on the back. But we'll assume that most of you, even if we say it's thanks to your willful work on yourself, that your major overt pretensions are a thing of the past. That you do not now, that it's not, your, it's not a major problem in your life of trying to overcome the make-believe roles that you, you and everyone else, that you used to play. That you no longer try to put up a front to your family, to people at work. You no longer you know, play the old game of, oh, this old thing, or yeah, well, my Mercedes in the shop, you know, all that shit. That you just, you, you don't. And you might feel, like I said, you shouldn't, but you might feel that you've made progress. You might feel good about that. I say, tut, tut, you should be ashamed. Because that's not, that's not even the half of it. I'm telling you what being asleep is in a different way tonight. What people have always called being asleep is in the privacy of your head. It doesn't have to show to anyone. Now, I'm, I'm talking about strictly in your mind that never shows itself to anyone. In your mind, as your thoughts just constantly bounce from here to there, always in some other time, some other place, and it's always about you, thinking about what you should have said, what you will say, what you should have done, what you will done, will do in the future. There, strictly in private to your in your mind, you're asleep, but what are you doing? You're refusing to face the fact that your thinking is a constant deception. And you know it is. That every little thing I knew it was gonna to come to this. <laughs> I can't come up with the words. I just, it is so good. I find it so useful. I can still get a joke from it. Let me, how about this? Let me try it this way. If you could see what I'm pointing to, the way in which I can see it. I say the most important form of deception is this. Your mind, everyone's mind knows that you only live you're only present in the here and now. Now, everyone knows that. Ordinary people. You're only alive and present right now, right here. <laughs> and yet, what do we do? <laughs> just You just go back. You entertain. You're caught up in your own daydreams, just the natural ring of the mind. And everything it's doing, back where we started... Everything, every daydream you're having is not a daydream about how things are. You don't daydream about some past incident as it actually happened. 
and you don't daydream about the future as it will happen, and don't say that you can't predict the future, you can predict this. You know damn well the way you're daydreaming about what's going to happen tomorrow is not what's going to happen. The mind does not bother to daydream about things as they are. So there you sit, and you can believe that you're thinking about matters having to do with being more awake. About, well, what I should have done, I would have acted in a more awakened manner if yesterday I'd said so-and-so instead of such-and-such. As though that's doing good. That's shameful. Because you know that that's a lie. If you know anything by now, or if you can find the view I'm saying, I'm having so much trouble putting in any sort of words. You could shut your mouth. You could never say another word. You could live alone. You could go off and live the life of a recluse and still be continually deceiving yourself. Because I like to I say, you could. <laughs> if your thinking amounts to no more than your thinking, you will, even if you never open your mouth again, you will deceive yourself. And what I say is shameful. If you'll try some way, I don't have to tell you, and if you, some of you hear what I'm, generally what I'm saying, if you try and see it, I'm sure it'll hit you. Much of the stuff that you probably find innocuous going on in your daydreams, but stuff that you would find to be admirable. Things that you would think, well, that's good that I think about this. Because I'm certainly not engaged in any self-serving self-delusion. I was thinking about how I should do so-and-so to be more awake. Ooh. It's not possible. And I'm telling you, your mind knows it. Except we're the last to know. You, know, you can think about other people in ways that do not match the facts. You can think about life itself in ways that do not match the facts. It's just common. I mean, almost all of humanity, if asked, say that they believe that after you die, you come back to life somewhere, in some way. And yet I also say, in spite of that, or there's a great example, I'll put it that way, that the mind looks, and everybody that dies has always stayed dead. There's not a mind on this planet that's ever seen somebody die and then get undied. And so they look, and they, you know, you see your, your most beloved people, your parents, dead and buried, and you walk right off, and you, and you saw it. They cover them up, and they're not coming out of the ground. And you turn right around, a priest, a rabbi, a friend says, well, she went to a better place. And you go, yeah, that's my only consolation. Do I have to go into some sort of faux sarcastic, she went in the ground? Your mind knows that she's dead. She's not the first person. Everybody's mind knows that's it. Well, they know that they don't know any more than that. I was going to pull out, I threw it in, the writing. Uh, the world's full of things that are not even that drastic, if you assume death is drastic. But like it's been observed over and over. Somebody's always popping up to come up with this brand new discovery that they have observed and observed and studied, made photographs, and decided that the physical body type of a person has a direct relationship to their temperament. It goes on and on and on. Let's assume that's true. Because that's a pretty easy observation. Even if you don't care far enough to want to classify all the humans, you just look around and certain types. Just everybody knows it. But if somebody's attention is caught up into it and it becomes an interest of theirs, almost immediately they will lose sight of simply what they saw. And they'll begin to elaborate on it. They'll get to be... It's not just that their physical type is related to their temperament. Because, yeah, I wouldn't get too much of a reputation. 
then it has to be, and what follows is my explanation. See, there's the mind. The man's mind has already gone past seeing that, yes, people who seem to have a shape like this always seem to have a personality that's rather lethargic or rather excitable. I see it over and over again. But if you say that, you have simply, your mind has seen things as they are, and you won't get a reputation. You have to look at it and go, I can explain that, I believe. So he starts saying most of the people who are larger at the bottom than they are at the top, most of them were born either in September, April, or the middle of February. Statistically. They start all that. I'm really out of time, but I saw even a better one. Maybe some of you saw it just recently on some nature program on television. One guy said that he had discovered, he had a reputation of it, but supposedly he was now one of the world's leading experts, had a book on the psychology of cats. And he'd been working with them in circuses and everywhere else, and he was a zoologist and blah, blah, blah. And he said that he had noticed when he worked with big cats how to handle them, that some were trustworthy and some were not. And he said he just accidentally, he began to pick up their paws and to look. And he showed, and he said that he had discovered. And all this sounded reasonable. In fact, I believe it. I believe it was true. Trust me. He said, about 10 years ago, I realized that a cat, a lion, one of the big cats, tiger, those that you could not trust, and I didn't catch it all. I was just listening half an ear before I called on. It got my interest. But, the, you know, the, the pads of the paw is what I mean. He said the pads, and he said... And, and again, I repeat, I suddenly heard this is the truth that got my attention because I knew what was going to happen. I just knew it. They said, I, I, I found out no one. I looked in books, but no one seemed to know it. But I found out, and whatever it was, I missed it. But it was like if the second and third pad are closer together than the third and the fourth one, I saw it. And he said, you know, like a thousand cats I worked with, that cat had an, an aggression to it that could never be tamed. That cat, I could predict, would cause trouble. And sure enough, it did, and I got a reputation. They were bringing around circuses all over the world. And he said, and then I looked at house cats. It took a, you know, a bit more because their behavior is not quite as extreme. And that's when it got my attention, because I heard the truth, that this guy had discovered that the placement of the pads on, a large, on the big cat's paws reflected their temperament. And he says, then I took up the house cats. I wrote my book and I about the big cats, and I decided, well, there are more people with small cats, and pet owners began to write me. So I began to consider the matter, and that's when I dropped what I was doing, and I listened, because I knew it. And then, I'm not going to try to describe, but then he began to say, so the more I studied it, I began to realize it does not just reflect their aggressive tendencies. And then he started going on and on about how easily they would be housebroken and whether they would be good with children and whether they might like, you know, vegetarian food or, you know, red meat. <laughs> In other words, his mind. Do you understand? Let's assume that the truth was his mind observes facts that no one ever observed. He had a discovery that the placement of the pads on Big Cat's paws reflected one thing. Their degree of aggression. That's why it started. But what I told you already tonight. The mind, I say, I'm not denying that our minds can see things as they are. They have to. It wouldn't be any good. But I'm telling you, if whatever it is you're looking at holds your attention long enough, if it's sufficiently interesting to your mind that you begin to comment on it, you instantly cease seeing it as it is and you begin to elaborate on it. And at times it can be profitable, as witnessed by our technology. I say to people like us, with ordinary people, uh, when they get off, out of science, out of the physical world, it's, you can't say it's either profitable or non-profitable. It's just what keeps culture going. That's why things are always changing out there. That's why change is the constant in our cultural world. But I say with people like us, it is really interesting. For people trying to awaken, which I also say is no more than the mind trying to understand itself, that's all the hell it is. Doesn't sound very fascinating compared to achieving the great liberation in quotation marks. But I'm telling you the mind, I'm asking you to look at it, because you'll make your own discovery. The mind is not structured nor organized 
to see things as they are. To stick to seeing things as they are. And no one realizes what this means, what this starts to say implies. What this means. <laughs> when the mind thinks about itself. You can think about yourself. The mind can. You can, you know, strike the Rodin pose. Then you can fall off a little stool. You can get down your knees. Stool with your fist jammed into your chin. Then you can do both fists and, you know, each cheek. You can squint up your head. You can put on a thinking cap. All to no avail. It's not possible. The ship always looks like it's about to dock. <laughs> and it's gone. It's all but the final and permanent, complete and total awakening. The ship is, they're about to throw in the line. My mind's about to grab this final piece and tie the boat to the dock and just, it's gone. And to wax poetically, I say, and thus shall it be always. <laughs> well, I'm going ahead and stop. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.